Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week comes from Rick. His season pick for psychological thriller is none other than Seven. Hey Rick, why was Six scared of Seven? Tell me why, Park. Because Seven represents the seven deadly sins that act as a catalyst for this murder mystery thriller. Wow, that was quite the spin on the joke, Park. (laughs) No, wasn't it? It was pretty funny, wasn't it? Park, this is my movie. Rick, this is your movie. And before we get into your Rick's recap, I just gotta ask you, why did you pick this movie? What made you choose this movie, Rick? I was just trying to think. First of all, like, what do I want to watch again? Uh, you and I talked about what are we going to bring to like a watch party, right? Like what are we going to bring over to our friend's house and like want to watch and show people, but also like watch again for ourselves. Uh, for this, I feel like Seven was a, a quick choice for me when I was like trying to get my groundings for uh, for like a mystery thriller. So yeah, I was, I was choosing between that. There's I have other movies that I absolutely love, but I think it just came down to like what do I want to watch again? What do I want to talk about? And what else to talk about than Seven Deadly Sins Park? Rick? That's the perfect conversation starter. I like to go up to people on the street and be like, Hey, how are you doing? My name's Parker. You know about the seven deadly sins? <laughs> Immediately you would be like, are you from a cult? All right, Rick. Why don't you uh, hit us with the recap? What What is this movie all about for our audience members, our, v- our listeners out there that uh, maybe haven't seen the movie Seven and or haven't watched it in a long time? Yeah, so this movie takes us to NYC in the late 1980s, where crime is rising, drug addiction was everywhere, and I guess it rains nonstop. There's only one major question this movie answers, but yet it leaves so many more unanswered. Why does no one understand the concept of interior decorating? Why is it raining nonstop? Why is the intro of the movie so long? And finally, why did John Joe change the rules of his own game? Now, Park, before we dive into all these questions and discuss this movie, I have one question for you. The box in this movie is obviously the worst gift Brad Pitt has ever received. If you could put anything in a box for Brad Pitt, what would it be? <laughs> anything in a box for Brad Pitt? Rick, it would obviously have to be a bar of soap. Yes. <laughs> so he can re- recall the, the glory of that role. Yeah, so he can you know remember what it was like to, to be in a great movie. It's a great one. The bar of soap is a great one. I was like going to go with, like well, like a puppy, but I mean, yours makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. What wow. if I put in a picture of how his abs looked in Fight Club? Ooh, Rick, that'd be nice. Yeah, remind <laughs> we both give him Fight Club gifts. <laughs> Yours is a little more uh, a little more heated though, because you're like reminding him of what he once was. I'm just allowing him this? to be clean. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he could imply that I'm saying he's smelly or something, though. So I don't know. I guess that's true. I will say when Becky and I went to New York City, we had a friend who um, worked in like a uh, as an engineer in like a a company that's made like soap products and stuff like that. And she gifted us a few different like bars of soap, and that was actually a really nice gift. And we used those, and they were they were lovely. So I think he would probably really appreciate a bar of soap. But like, are you gonna have Fight Club like in it on it, or just like yeah, a straight up? Oh yeah, I, I I could get my little like carving knife that I don't own and just kind of write in Fight Club. Now, are you gonna buy like one of those like fifty, sixty dollar bars of soap that like people sell to like moms? No. Or are you no, gonna no, just no. go to Dove and 
Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the Dollar General store, and I'm gonna <laughs> find a purple or a pink. I think it's pink in the poster. Bar of soap, and I'm gonna carve out Fight Club on it. Actually, I found beer scent soap in Asheville, where I live, Ooh. this past weekend. Rick, you know, if you really want to be my friend, you could give me that one day because I still have your beer flavored candle on my uh, table in the living room that I got for Secret Santa from you. <laughs> I remember when we got this. I haven't even burnt it, I just use it to go pick up and smell every once in a while. I don't want to lose it. We have like four of those in one of our one of our hallway closets, and the second you open up the closet, you just get it is like the whiff of just beer gets. To I'd it. open that closet every day, Rick. I, I would hang out in the closet. Hang out in the closet. I mean, that's all. That's all I want to do, Park. Rick, never coming out of the closet. Never coming out of the closet. Well, Park, we're hanging on Zoom right now. Yeah, we are. So, Park, you tell me. Before, I want to dive into these questions eventually, and we will, but I just want, before we can go question by question, I want you to tell me, what do you think this movie's about? Well, Rick, let me start off by saying, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we finally landed on a movie that's not explicitly about trauma. That's true. I didn't know if it was going to happen the way things were, had been going the past few weeks. I felt like every movie we were watching was very poignant on various types of trauma. I can confidently say this movie is not really about trauma. What I think this movie is about, besides just being like a phenomenal murder mystery thriller type of movie, I think it's really boiled down to the philosophy of Kevin Spacey's character, John Doe. It's a critique, if even a critique, more of an examination of society's moralities and what we view as right and wrong in today's society and what we justify in our heads and in our minds as being right and wrong compared to the moral laws that have been in place for generations, thousands of years, and so forth. It was a sermon, as Somerset said multiple times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really, that's, I mean, that's, that's really what I got out of this film from, like, what does it mean? What is it all about? Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I don't think so, mainly because... I think there's a lot of, like, beauty and art that can come from things that are, like, simple, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that, like, it's okay that we don't actually know Kevin Spacey's characters, all of his motivations. Like, we don't know a lot of serial killers and real-life motivations. Like, it's, like, I feel like it's okay that, like, for it to mean, oh, he was just preaching about something that he believed in with our society in, like, a really grotesque, awful way. And, like, that's kind of it. Yeah. Whereas... One of the movies we have watched that I have uh, critiqued a lot since we've watched it. I feel like they're trying to say a lot, like a kid trying to tell you about their day. It's not clear. I think that it's okay to like not really say anything, but just give you a good story and a good movie, you know? Yeah. And I think that this is a really great movie, and it is so well written. Oh, I just loved, I loved watching this movie, Rick. I hadn't seen it in, in a while. It had been a few years. I think we both watched it back in college. When we were living together, and that might have been the last time I watched it, and it was Chef's Kiss. So I, one thing I noticed immediately is I think the last time, like you and Becky were up here, we played uh, the Jackbox games. You remember when we played the murder trivia game that's on Jackbox? I do. Yes. The intro of that game is literally the same intro of this movie. Is it really? It's the exact same style. And like the exact sound and noise and everything too. I I, I picked wow, up. Wow, they 
They ripped off Seven. Yeah. I guess if you're going to rip off something, this is a good movie to rip off. Well, that intro, like, is uh, is actually, like, a great... Even though it's so long, it's, like, actually a great movie intro. Yeah. Because, like, you can actually pick apart little Easter eggs and certain things in the intro if you really try to. I didn't really try to. But I know there's, like, a lot of meaning of things in there just because, I mean... There's not a lot of, like, super long intros that I like, but this is one that I that I enjoyed. Probably along with the original Spider-Man trilogy intros, specifically Spider-Man 2, where it has the different comic book paintings of the first movie and its recap as it's doing its intro. I thought that was cool. I just kind of ways to engage you for the intro, I feel like. Yeah. I think, like, what kills me in some of these older movies, I'm saying 90s is older. I guess 90s, I mean, it's... It's a long well, time ago. Rick, we're from the 90s. Or, <laughs> you really going to say what, that that's old? Well, this still came out before I was alive. I'm a yeah. 97 baby park. Rick, such so, a young lad. I know, let's calm down. Almost 30 years ago, I guess this movie came out. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know, I feel like maybe it was especially the 90s. We've watched a lot of older movies. I don't really recall a lot of super long intros. But like some of these 80s and 90s movies, they're like whole credits is the intro. I have like a love-hate relationship with the idea, especially since I work in film now. I'm like, crews deserve more recognition and credit. It all goes to like the director and the actors. And like, sure, obviously they are like major pieces of the puzzle. But like, there is so much more to making a film. And there are so many more people to making a film. And like, I don't know, I feel like audiences should sometimes be forced to sit there and look at the people who spent 14 to 16 hours a day living their lives on a film set away from their families. If movies really cared about all the extra people, we would have way more Oscar categories. <laughs> like, we're still no stuntman or stuntwoman category, which is crazy to me. I know that's ongoing. That's, like, talked about so much yeah. um, every to every year, but still. Rick, if there was a... Um... A PA Oscar award. I think I. I think I'd be nominated. I would. I would nominate you. Oh, Rick, thank you. Yeah, I have a vote. Yeah, <laughs> we both have votes because <laughs> of our podcast. Yes, thank you. I would vote for myself every year. I'm that person. Can I like work for five minutes on a set and vote for myself? Um, if there was a PA award, sure. Well, well, I'll do that when when one is invented. We can give a PA award. Yeah, I'll do it right now. Parker Bonner. There we go. Ah, thank you, Rick. There you go. I want, just want to thank the Two Dudes, One Movie podcast for this prestigious award. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. Your, no your one else matters. 2022 works. The only thing that matters, and the only thing that should matter to you as for our listeners, is this podcast. Mark, tell me what is good about this movie. I got some notes in front of me for my, for my good, bad, and the ugly, and here is my top note. Parker Good, this movie. That is my good. This movie. It is good. I just... This is just such a good movie. Uh, I think... You know, I gotta go back and, like, reassess, like, my top 25 films of all time that I love. But, like, this might be in that top 25. It's just so great. Top to bottom. So engaging. A little bit of a slow burner, and it's got a fairly long runtime, but it keeps me engaged on the edge of my seat the entire time so also probably a top 10 movie quote of all time comes from this movie can't argue with that to dive a little deeper into my goods uh i loved the chemistry and dichotomy of david mills and detective somerset those characters they're nothing new nothing the wheel was not reinvented um they aren't original but 
you know, being the retired cop that's tired of the cold world and the hothead cop trying to make a name for himself. Like those are very tried and true type of characters um, in a formula, but they really nail it. Like they play it perfectly and like their ability to bounce off each other. I don't know. It was just so pleasant to watch. And just like, I just love watching Morgan Freeman at anything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you put probably one of the greatest actors of all time into any role, and especially a role that, like, is Morgan Freeman. Yeah, this is, like, this is, like, a Morgan Freeman role. Just, like, meant for him. It's so good. And then also, on the flip side, uh, Kevin Spacey's character, we were talking about how you don't get a lot from this character, but, like, I love when a movie can, like, you can understand a villain's viewpoint. You can understand their motive to an extent. And, like, even even though it's inc- insane and crazy, like, I understood why he was doing it and, the like, doing it to make a point about what he believes um, in a really psychotic and awful way. But I just thought that that was really great. Another phenomenal character. In my opinion, this is the perfect detective cop thriller movie. Rick. Is this your best villain of the season so far? Ooh, that's a good question. I would have to say yes. I I like John Doe more than any other villain of the season. The only other villain that I can think of off the top of my head that would compete with him is Frank. Yeah, from that's Blue what Velvet. I was thinking. It's between them. But there's something more mesmerizing about Kevin Spacey's performance and the ambiguity of his character and, like, the unknown of his character, which I think is more compelling. Park, you want to know my good? Rick, what's your good? All I wrote down, Park, for my good is Tall-Ass Glass of Wine, which <laughs> that's, that's my nickname for Brad Pitt. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. But what, <laughs> it's probably not my favorite part of the movie. I just love how, since they, like, recently moved there, and Morgan Freeman was like, I want wine. When he offered him beer, he's like, oh, I'll have wine. And he fills up a, like, large, tall glass to the top of wine. Like, he's given him, he's given Morgan more than he bargained for. I don't think Morgan Freeman finished that glass. You think Morgan Fre- Freeman made it home that night, Rick? Dude, I don't think so. I feel like, I think Morgan Freeman, especially his character Somerset, I think he's more of, like, you know, he's like a few couple ounces of wine, he sips. He sips on it. He sips on it. And if you pour something that big, he's not going to finish it. No, where Brad Pitt was like, here, we're back in college. Brad Pitt, on the other hand, he would definitely finish it. He would. He would drink it like it's water. Yep. That's my good uh, as as well with that. I love these, like, murder mystery movies. And I also, in the way, like, I feel like culture right now is obsessed with serial killers. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like... I guess I am too. It's like entertaining. It's entertaining to like watch something that you can't even comprehend is happening, you know? Like whereas like now we're into like the like kind of our culture is into these like true Netflix docs. Like Jeffrey Dahmer is like looking back. They like did Kevin Spacey's character pretty well. Like they they did their work with like when it came to studying some of this. But it's interesting to go back to like 95 and like, I don't know, I almost, I almost want to blame it on podcasts. So is that why we're obsessed with serial killers? All the serial, all the killer podcasts? No, I think the obsession with serial killers comes way before even podcasts. Back when serial killers were prevalent and, and real, like the news, people were enamored about them and wanting to understand them and know more about them. It's it's like Ted Bundy. 
everybody followed the Ted Bundy trials. That's true. The videos of those with like girls screaming their heads off at them, they're nuts too. I don't know. I just think it's a fascination to understand the mind of people that we just can't quite understand. Yeah, it's like I cannot believe that person's mind exists. Like, how is there a human that is evil? Which is the basis of, you know, David Fincher's phenomenal Netflix series, Mindhunter. Have you seen that that series, Rick? Yeah, I watched season one of it. I don't think I watched the next one. The next season, season two is just as good as season one. It's such a it's such a well-crafted show. Highly recommend if you haven't watched. Back to, like, Kevin Spacey's character. I was thinking about, like, he's not only doing horrible acts, but he's, like, following through with them in the way of, like, like over to his ideology of the seven deadly sins. Like, he kept a guy strapped to a bed for a year. I know. Which is just That's... insane to think about. It's crazy. I don't know, it's just it's nuts. The ideas of, like, meticulously planning that all out just to, like, have everything timed out perfectly, and, like, it's crazy. I want to bring up a point also... Before we're really introduced to John Doe, because I consider the introduction of John Doe to when he walks into the police station towards the end of the movie, but the first time we see him when they're knocking at his door, that is such a well-crafted well, scene. Well, the first time I saw him was he was the photographer. Oh yeah, that's true. But I'm thinking specifically the hallway sequence where he's got the bag and yeah. and it's just like this you know wide shot of this silhouette at the end of the hallway. And it, you know, they're looking at him. He's looking at them. Just bam, like the gun, like gunfire. It was just. And then Brad Pitt actually broke his arm on a car. I know, yeah, it's and crazy. that's that's why he has a cast in, <laughs> in like the latter half of the movie. It is done super super well. I do want to say because we're just we're on we're all talking about this character right now, and this is my bad of the movie. And maybe you can argue with me here because maybe I'm not understanding it right. John Doe broke his own rules. So he set up the rules of that every person up until the last two deaths of the movie, which is like where the twist comes in, every single person that commits or embodies this sin dies. Mm -hmm. Whereas Envy, like he was envious, but then he killed Brad Pitt's wife. Mm. So like he broke his rule there. So like the, the death for Envy wasn't him. And then the death of Wrath wasn't should have been Brad Pitt if it still followed the rules, but it wasn't Brad Pitt, it was him. He was like a martyr for that one. Yeah. So he like he broke his rules that the subject of it didn't die, which is the only thing that annoyed me. I feel like the only time I th- I think about him breaking that rule is I don't consider Brad Pitt's wife to be the envy death. I consider John Doe to be the envy death, and no one's really the death of Wrath, but like Gwyneth Paltrow's character is kind of the collateral damage, which I, I think is where he breaks the rules. He just kind of like yeah. kills her to bring out the wrath in David Mills. So Yeah, and like I understand the point. I, I also understand they're trying to get to this point in the story. It's where you have the fantastic line of what's in the box. Yeah. But like watching this movie, I guess with a different eye that I watched it when I was like just in college, that was like the main like bad I had. I was like, it's an incredible movie. I'd watch this again in a heartbeat. Like, it's a great movie. But, yeah, I don't like that he, he, like, had these rules and his ideology set up for him. Like, he's so meticulous, right? But then just just because he, like, had this end he wanted to get to, he, like, changed his rules to get there. Yeah. It's, that's at least how I, how I saw it. You know what other character 
has a set of rules that he follows that's really well written. Probably even, that's even better than the John Doe character. Probably one of the best villains in cinema history. Javier Bardem as, I think his character's name is Anton in No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I mean, that one's, that's one of the best villains of all time. Talk about a character who follows a set of rules and like lives by them. But yeah, I no, I get I get the point you're coming from. I think that's actually a very valid critique, and I think it it was played to the point where he and the story itself needed to make that shift, and the only way it was going to happen was to obviously have the wife die. Yeah, and again, it's like I mean, I'm saying that is a bad like, a, and maybe critically, I think it's a bad, but like the ending of this movie is iconic. You had to get yeah, there. and nobody, the average audience viewer who's going to to be entertained isn't going to, like, be upset over that. No, not at all. It's such a minor thing. That's why I, kinda, I like, hate myself for critiquing it. <laughs> you're, Rick, you're so pretentious. So, so pretentious. I'm rubbing off on you a little bit, I think. I know, I can't stand it. <laughs> well, I also, like, I feel like I'm watching these movies, and I was like, what am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh Rick, for my bad and ugly, I don't really have a bad, but I, I will say I do have an ugly for this movie. Um, Give it to me. I already see it. It's in, the que- it's in the form of a question. Why is it that every apartment in a David Fincher movie in the 90s just looks so gross and slimy to live in? Like Fight Club, this movie, everybody lives in a really gross place. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just... And the, the lighting l- sucks. Like, do they just live in the dark? <laughs> That's just a... That's a David Fincher style. And I, I, I'm fine with the dark lighting for this movie because it, you know, it vibes with the tone and stuff. Well, I think it really, the lighting to me, I think like the lighting and sliminess crossed the line a little bit of when we like actually went to the, into the apartments and lives of Brad Pitt's character and Morgan Freeman's character. It's mm. like, come on guys. I know I you know. guys are, I know you're a little moody, right? I understand. Yeah. You like, you don't clean though. I know. I know. That's what I think is. Has has anybody heard of a Swiffer? I don't know if Swiffers were around back in the nineties, but you or know, is this just like, is this just what New York is? <laughs> yeah, it's, just, just, it's just New it York, just Rick. It just sucks to be to live in there. Everybody just lives in a slimy little apartment. No oh, goodness, Rick. What did you? Uh, what do you think about those security guards at the uh, New York Public Library playing some cards in the middle of the night? I actually kind of loved those little scenes, but while we're talking about. I guess, like, guards or just other role characters, right? Or side characters. I love when... So it's when Brad Pitt's character shoots, like, shoots him. The dialogue that comes from the guy in the helicopter is hilarious. It's like he... They didn't actually give him a script. So he was, like, trying to, like, figure out what to say. It was just funny. It was like, we gotta land land somewhere. We gotta call someone. And like, that's what he said. First of all, they're like in the complete, they're literally in the wide open, just land anywhere. It felt like a desert. I don't know if it was really desert, but I don't know of any any landscape quite like that outside of New York City, Rick. Dude, I mean, <laughs> Kevin Spacey had him drive, Park. It's so true. We they don't were, know. They were driving. They drove <laughs> all the way to Texas. There could have been a, there could have been a separate movie on their road trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rick. Uh, for our for our listeners out there, we're going to do another AI generated script later. But that we should have we should have made should have made one on a road trip. <laughs> I feel like I just, I just envisioned like a like a hangover type movie. Yeah. Three, <laughs> the three of them. 
Oh my gosh. That would be so funny. Next time, Rick. Next time. Next time. Or just like one of those classic family movies, like like the movie R V, like the Robin Williams movie. Or uh or like a National Lampoon movie. National Lampoon movie, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Wow. That'd be, that'd be so funny. Uh, oh man. That would have been a great script. We have a great script, so don't worry, guys. I'm really excited. You you only gave me a a very a tease of it, Rick, but I don't really know much of much of anything, so I'm very excited to go into that blind. Rick, before we move on, you got anything else you need to say? Good, bad, or ugly? Not good, bad, or ugly part, but we got we have another rant park. Oh boy, a Rick rant. I love him. This one's over something so stupid, but this is what I equate it to. So we watched Mr. Grover in there, and I and we discussed at the end of the movie, uh, the extras was something that like it took me out of the movie because it looked so unnatural. Yeah. So in that same vein, Park, here's my rant. The coffee cups. They're holding coffee cups so much in this movie, not any time do I believe there's liquid in these cups. And mainly because like the the like mannerisms of like holding like a full cup of coffee isn't like it's not there, I guess. Like we first see them pouring down rain. He like, Morgan Freeman doesn't want the cup of coffee. Brad Pitt, he puts it on like a slanted edge, like super quickly. There's nothing in that bad boy. You're like a hot cup of coffee, you're not just like placing it down that quick. And there's this other little things. They're like going the coffee all willy nilly. Just don't I don't buy it. I don't buy it. There's liquid in there, Park. Rick, I wish there was a way for us to prove that. I wish there was too. I feel like if we, if we really just like somehow got a 4K version of the movie and zoomed in, you could see under the little lids, you might be able to see a little. I will say, working on movie sets, since I'm working on a on a TV show right now where there's a big parade sequence and they give a lot of people like cups to hold, like the props department will go around and give the extras like cups to hold and stuff like that, and a lot of them are empty. So I guess I understand for extras, have you, can you recall a time that you, I guess a main character of a movie or show you worked on that they were like holding something like that? If they're holding like a cup and it had liquid in it, like a main character? Yeah, no, there's a lot of times I feel like whenever a, you know, a a cast member is interacting with a prop, specifically some type of like drink or liquid, those are usually filled up. They usually, you know, if it's like an alcoholic beverage or something like that, it's grape juice or it's some sort of like water with a dye in it or something like that i can't think of off the top of my head a a time on set where they gave like an actor a coffee cup and didn't have anything in it you know so like i I can think of that all the time with extras like they just throw whatever they wanted extras but that's fine because you know no one's really focused on the extras and also the camera itself is not focused on it so it's tough to see things like that in the background well, David Fincher, here's the sin of your movie. I'm sorry. You had to fill up, fill up those cups. His deadly sin, Rick. His deadly not fill, sin. Not filling up the cups. Also, another deadly sin is why we've already established this season, Park, that Pap's Blue Ribbon is for frat boys mm-hmm. or evil people. Yep. Why is Brad Pitt in this movie drinking a Pabst? <laughs> because he's wrath, Rick. I guess that's true. <laughs> it fits the it fits the mold of a of a Pabst drinker. That was that that was actually brilliant foreshadowing. It was by David Fincher right there. <laughs> brilliant. He that that's the only thing he thought about the whole movie. He's like, if I could just have his character drink a Pabst Blue Ribbon, it'll all fall together perfectly. All the pieces of the puzzle will fit. No, I think he was like going through different sponsors. He was looking at a list of beers, and he was like, Pabst. Everyone knows Pabst Frat Boys. Evil people. So, 
Easy. I don't make the rules, Park. I just I just commentate on them. Rick, and you you do a heck of a job at commentating <laughs> on them. Also, we haven't talked about enough about uh, every single like movie podcast. So Gwyneth Paltrow is in the movie. We gotta at least say a few things about how crazy Gwyneth Paltrow is, right? Rick, so, who's crazier, Gwyneth Paltrow or Joaquin Phoenix? Dude, talk about like a. <laughs> They'd be such a power couple, Rick. Such a power couple. Dude, they should have got Gwyneth Paltrow to play Harley Quinn instead of a Lady Gaga. Rick, they're rebooting the DC franchise. Anything's possible. I guess so. Did you know Gwyneth Paltrow didn't know that she was in a Spider-Man movie? I think I remember that. Did she just forget about it? She was like in a cooking show with uh, John Favreau. Oh, oh, I watched that show. The, the chef show. Yeah, they were like cooking something and they were talking about what, you know, being in Spider-Man. She's like, I wasn't in that. And she was like shocked to find out she was in a Spider-Man movie. Are you going to name your kid uh, Gwyneth Park? Uh, <laughs> no, Rick. Gwyneth. <laughs> Rick, that Gwyneth, Gwyneth Bond. <laughs> it's not on, the, not on the list. Like, he could be like, that's a name for like a dope sorcerer. Like Gwyneth, like in the Harry Potter show reboot, there's definitely going to be like a, like a Gwyneth wizard. Gwyneth the Great. My name is Gwyneth the Great. Here to rise in sorcery and magic. Come, sip on my goop. <laughs> I feel like that character is just like a... It's kind of a side character to the hat, to the sorting hat. For sure. It's like you're, you're like the backup sorting hat. Oh, for sure. I Now I can't not think about the video that you were obsessed with like five years ago, the potion seller video. <laughs> potion seller. <laughs> potion seller. Oh my gosh, another classic. We could just I could, we could break that down for a whole podcast. That's what we're gonna do next season. I'm so, <laughs> just gonna break down <laughs> little six minute videos yep. every week. Okay, so Park, do I have something special for you? Oh, I love it when you have something special so for me. So right? I worked with an AI to develop develop script for us today. Now, first, I punched into the script, into the AI. I said, write me a script for this movie, but instead of John Doe, it's actually Willy Wonka. The AI was not having it. It was like, I, I, we can't, I can't do that to a beloved character or whatever and make it about this evil person. So I had to, like, frame my way around. Didn't it do that last time with, like, Harry Potter or something? It does, but I, like, if you ask it around in these certain, like, roundabout ways, you can get it to give you what you want. Rick, that's like anything in life. Yeah. I guess you just gotta seduce the AI a little bit more. <laughs> just a little seduction. A little seduction never hurt nobody. <laughs> All I'm gonna give you, Park, is you are gonna be you're gonna be John Doe, and I'm gonna be Detective Mills. And then I'll also do I tried to italicize the narration parts. I'll catch the narration. Is Morgan Freeman in this at all? Because if he is, I can try and be him. I didn't. I so initially I didn't want to do three characters. It's fire. So I just made this between Mills and John Doe. All right, um, all right. uh, sorry, I apologize that Morgan's not in this. It's okay. I just want to bust out my Morgan Freeman impression, but it's fine. You'll have to bust out your John Doe impression part because you're you're gonna get the part. All right, all right, I'm ready. Should we just do it, Rick? Should we just jump into it? We're gonna we're just gonna dive in. I read the script through once. You have not read it at all. I just gave you a little little tease of it. Here we go. Everyone listening out there, you are experiencing this script for the first time with me right now. So let's do it. So we enter an abandoned building during the daytime, I suppose. 
Detective Mills and John Doe are alone in a dimly lit room. John Doe is standing in front of a wooden crate with a big grin on his face. What's in the box, John? What's in the box? You see, Detective Mills. You'll see. Don't try anything funny, John. Put your hands in the air, step away from the crate. John Doe complies and raises his hands. Detective Mills cautiously approaches the crate and opens it, revealing a shiny golden key. What the hell is this? It's the key to my chocolate factory, Detective Mills. Your what? <laughs> uh, okay. My chocolate factory. <laughs> Willy Wonka. What? That's not possible. It is, Detective Mills. And I want you to have the key. Detective Mills hesitates for a moment. But then he remembers his childhood dream of owning a chocolate factory. I don't know what to say, John. This is crazy. It's not crazy, Detective. It's destiny. The factory is yours now. Detective Mills takes the key and looks at it, still not quite believing what's happening. I can't believe this. I've always wanted to own a chocolate factory. (laughs) I know, Detective. And now you can make that dream come true. I have to go see it. Can you take me there? Of course, Detective. I'll show you the way. The two men leave the abandoned building and get into John Doe's car. (laughs) They drive for a while until they arrive at a large, colorful building with a sign that reads, Wonka Chocolate Factory. Wow, this is incredible. It's all yours now, Detective. Enjoy it. Uh, Sidebar. Can I just preface that literally after, ev- un- underneath every single line in parentheses, it says, for John Doe, it says smiling. It says, <laughs> so Detective Mills, all happy. <laughs> so for- <laughs> all of our listeners out here who are just listening and not watching, um, even though I'm not even doing a good job of following this, it every time I'm saying a line, I am also smiling with it. Back in the character. <sighs> all right. Detective Mills thanks John Doe and walks inside the factory, feeling like a kid again. He spends the next few hours exploring the factory, tasting different chocolates, and meeting the Oompa Loompas. (laughs) This is the best day of my life. As the sun sets, Detective Mills sits in Willy Wonka's office, looking at the golden key on the desk. Thank you, John. Thank you for making my childhood dream come true. The screen fades to black. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. That was... So ridiculous. I just love thinking... There's a lot of love about the script. First, that the second... The second Detective Mills realizes a chocolate factory is on the line, he forgets everything else John Doe does. And he's like, oh, I want to see my chocolate factory. <laughs> I just like... I just like imagining these characters like saying that and being in this situation... Rick, do you think um, do you think John Doe is Gene Wilder Willy Wonka or Johnny Depp Willy Wonka? In in my head, I had Gene Wilder Willy Wonka when I was <laughs> when I was thinking about it. All right, good, good, good. Also, I don't I don't know where the inspiration of this came from because I wanted to do a script read again, and for some reason, Willy Wonka just popped up in my head for <laughs> for John Doe. It's a really <laughs> random connection to this movie. I mean, the Chocolate Factory. They were. They had to solve these other like puzzles, and the, and the kids that committed committed a sin for Willy Wonka, they bad, bad things happen to them. Park. Wow, Rick, 
You really, you really brought those two together right there. Uh, just there. I did not think about that before, so I just want to say that was <laughs> right on the spot. That was straight off the dome park. Rick, you are a great ABSer. You know that. I, I really am. I think it, I think it got me through the uh, the speech one and speech two I had in community college. Rick, was anyone listening to those speeches? Uh, probably not. I know you weren't listening to it. I wasn't. I would actually, I would have something to start out, and then I would just BS the rest. And if you, like, know your, like, professor or teacher, I feel like if you just say different words or lines that they like to hear, you can generally skate away by that. In the end, all seven is just Willy Wonka. Detective Mills gets the golden ticket at the end. Park, so would you pass or recommend this movie? Rick, I think it's pretty obvious what I'm going to do for this. And I think it's pretty obvious what you're going to do for this. I'm going to recommend this movie, of course. This is, I was, you know, talking about how this might be in the top 25 of my all-time favorite movies. So if I don't recommend a top 25 all-time favorite movie, then who am I? Could you imagine if I say pass? It was my <laughs> movie choice. Like, man, this movie sucked. <laughs> this movie sucked. <laughs> well, that was something we talked about, though, is like, even for my choice, I was like, should we watch something that neither of us have seen before? Which, if we did that, then there would be the possibility of, of us passing. But So, yeah, of course, I'm going to recommend this movie. Um, <laughs> one, I think this is like a must-watch for literally anyone that's ever listened to a crime podcast or, honestly, any Netflix doc these days, right? Like, it fits the mold and it does it perfectly. I mean, I think you can even see that and, this, and it could just be that they're <clears throat> taking inspiration from Fincher movies. Uh, not this one specific, but like particularly. There is tons and tons and tons of movies that like feels like it uses this as quite a blueprint. Oh, yeah. In terms of just the mood and like different types of dialogue, like I get a lot of Nightcrawler in this movie. This is really weird because I referenced this character a few weeks ago in a podcast, but a different iteration of the character. Keith Ledger's version of the Joker very much feels like John Doe. He does. Because it's like a little more like... I guess it's a little more mysterious. Yeah, the ambiguity of it all. Yeah, whereas like our current Joker is just like we get his backstory a little bit. Yeah. Which is honestly nice. It's nice to see like the different the different sides of it. Um, I also get, gosh, I cannot think of the movie. Like Robert Downey Jr. is also in a murder mystery movie. It's so long. Zodiac? Zodiac. I cannot think of it. I've never oh. fully made it through Zodiac because oh that movie is so that, long. It's so good, Rick. I know. I need to, I need to watch it. You need to sit uh, your little... But well, I was a bad. I was I was bad at watching movies in college, Parker. Probably prior to that. We all have our sins, Rick. That's yours. I'm good at watching movies now, Park. Guys, I think I could ace the test of watching movies. I'm really great. There you go. I love to hear that. Next week, we get the person that actually knows movies. He's a lot of hype to live up on this next pick. I'm gonna put all the pressure on you, Park. What is your next movie? Rick, you know, I, I brought a couple options to the table and we decided on a movie that you have not seen that I have seen and really enjoyed. And it's actually a, it's a very modern movie, but I think it's a phenomenal movie and it hasn't been talked about enough, I think. Highly underrated. That movie is Nightmare Alley. I think it was from 2021, but Nightmare Alley is the next movie, the movie that I'm picking that we're going to watch. Dude, I can't wait. Am I going to have Nightmares? Rick, if you don't have nightmares, I failed. For some reason, I feel like Nightmare Alley, this the title, I feel like would be on the Tower of Terror in Disney. Like, that's like the, the line that you uh, wait in to get into the Tower of Terror building. I feel <laughs> yeah. like it should be called Nightmare Alley. The line, yeah. I feel that. 
Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. I just I looked up the synopsis a little bit. I think it's be great. Yeah, Bradley Cooper's the the lead in it. Gotta love Bradley Cooper. He's an Eagles fan, so I struggle with him, but love the man as an actor. It's okay. I think you'll get over it. We'll find out, Park. We'll find out next week. We'll find out next week. Greg, that's going to be our last movie episode of the pod for season one. It's true, Park. And what, what are we doing? What, what closes out this? Rick, at the end of the season, we're just going to have a recap episode, kind of reliving and talking about our entire experience of the season, all of our movies, really examining the trajectory of the psychological thriller slash murder mystery genres. Maybe pass out an award or two as well. Yes, and I promise the awards will be better than the Oscars. Correct. Not the ceremony. The ceremony of the Oscars, we can't outdo that. But the Oscar as an award, they do they really mean anything? Rick, no. I, th- I think I'm gonna. I'm just going to wear a bow tie. Nothing else. Podcast. Nothing else. Just. I don't even know tie. if I own a bow tie. I'm just gonna wear. I guess I wore nothing. Rick. If, if we don't get on our Zoom call in a couple of weeks and we have nothing on, I'll be very disappointed. I will also be very disappointed. All right, Rick. It's a deal. I'm shaking on it with you through the screen. Well, and that's our show. That's it, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, We'll be covering it all. Until next week, guys, until we watch Nightmare Alley, we will see y'all in a week. And list your favorite deadly sin in the comments. Goodbye. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.